Amen. Man, I love that song. If you have your copy of God's Word, I would love for you to turn to the book of Mark, chapter 16. We are going to finish up Mark next week. But I want to read this passage to you, and then we're going to explore it. Mark chapter 16, starting with verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. They went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. I know Easter at Christmas is kind of an odd thing, but without Christmas there's no Easter, but without Easter there's no hope. And so we're this, this is where we are in the book of Mark, and we're going to talk about this. But first of all, I asked you this question this morning, what is the gospel? If someone wants to distill it down, what is the gospel? Well, Paul gives us a really nice, concise explanation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. We've seen the humiliation of Christ. We've seen the judgment of Christ by his Father for the sins of the world. We've seen God's wrath poured out on the cross against Jesus. And we've seen his death, that cruel death. He breathed his last. And then we've actually also talked about and seen his burial. All those things are involved in what Paul gives us as the definition of the gospel. Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose. Now we're going to talk about the resurrection. I'm excited. I don't know if you can tell. I'm excited. This is the apex of Mark's gospel. This is the apex of all the gospels. The resurrection. It's the most important event in history. Most important event in history. So Mark is going to give his readers right here a, a, the moment that the resurrection was discovered. See, it had happened already by the time the women got to the tomb. So he's giving them the moment it was discovered and how that took place. And then he's giving us the point that the resurrection is only effective if it's known, if it's told, if it's relayed to the world. And it was. It was discovered and it was proclaimed. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here this morning. Praise God. So now from this, from this passage, we're going to look at what shows what shows the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the people around us? We're going to try to answer that question. I'm going to give you some, some points to take away today to help you understand how can I show people that the resurrection actually happened? That they can, too, for themselves, discover the resurrection. 
Well, we can promote the resurrection of Jesus with two acts of devotion. Two very simple, really, maybe very difficult to execute perfectly, but very simple acts of devotion. We see what happens here at the tomb. Love and obey. Two very simple acts. Love Jesus fearlessly. Verses 1 through 4. These women did that very thing. I'm going to read it again. I want you to see, just kind of put yourself in their shoes as they're doing this. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. So look at what these women did. Okay, the Sabbath, the day that they're not supposed to do any work or travel too far or do anything outside their house, really, the Sabbath is a day to honor and rest. The minute the sun sets, the Sabbath is over. So Saturday night, they went out and they bought these spices. They, were, they had a plan. They were planning to go back to the tomb the next day. And then the very early on the, on the day after, at sunrise, they go. They go to the tomb and prepare to anoint Jesus' body. Why did they go so early? Well, I think partly because they just, they, were, they, they wanted to be close to Jesus. And we'll talk about that a little bit. But also, I think they were trying to avoid attention by whether it was Rome and the, and the guards, which they didn't even know the guards were at the tomb. That happened separately on, on the Sabbath, actually. Or whether they were trying to avoid the Jews who would, were, were, they hated Jesus, okay? They didn't want that kind of attention as they were going and anointing his body. And the reason they were anointing his body is to keep the smell of decomposition down. I told you about that in the burial a couple of weeks ago. So in the cool morning, the smell is not quite as prolific either. So that's another reason to go early. But mostly because they wanted to work on Jesus' body unharassed, unbothered by people. You know, it was too early for people to be in the garden. It may have been too cool for people to be out. They just, but they wanted to be with Jesus. I mean, you, you, you need to see their love there. It's bearing the fruit of loyalty, the, the undying devotion they had to Jesus Christ, their master, who they'd spent three years with, who'd done magnificent things. And so regardless of the threats, regardless of the fears, they made their way to the tomb Sunday morning. So they brought these spices, maybe oils to anoint his body to keep the odor down because another reason is that they wanted to keep that place where Jesus' body was buried a pleasant place to come and mourn. And also putting spices and anointing the body was a Jewish act of mourning. So they were mourning Jesus' death and they wanted people to be able to come that loved Jesus and do the same thing. So they were keeping the, the, the tomb and the area around it, the, keeping the odor suppressed. These ladies were sensitive to the perceptions of an undeodorized tomb. They knew it was a bad thing to not let that happen. As a matter of fact, it showed neglect. It showed people didn't love them. And the one thing these women wanted everyone to know is that they loved Jesus very much. So they chose to honor Christ with this daring act of anointing the body very early on Sunday morning. And their love for Jesus motivated them to show this kindness and this devotion to his corpse. But then they come up with this obstacle. All of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute, there's a stone over that tomb. How are we going to move that? But they're undeterred. 
I mean, it's an insurmountable obstacle. The way this thing is designed, it's a, it's a rich man's tomb, so it's a stone disc, and you've seen the pictures of, of how it works, and it's on a downhill slope over the hole, so getting it back up that little hill that they put it on and, and scotching it so it doesn't roll back on them, that's a difficult act for even a bunch of grown men, much less three women. But they didn't stop. You know, I would have said, well, well, there's no reasons for us to go. We can't move that stone. I would have stopped right there and went back home. It's like, we'll have to wait and see if we can get some of the disciples to come along and maybe move the stone later. But they didn't let the stone barrier stop them. They pressed on. They went because honoring the king of kings was more important to them. Their love, their compassion, their devotion for Jesus Christ, for their Lord, and all that he had done for them. Remember, Mary Magdalene has had seven demons cast out of her. She was very committed to Christ. But the other thing is, I think they were thinking, they just felt closer and safer next to Jesus' dead body than they did sitting in a house somewhere waiting for someone to open the tomb or waiting for whatever. They felt closer and safer next to Jesus' dead body than anywhere else. They were not afraid because they loved him. And the love moved them to risk all of this. And then all of a sudden... (laughs) I'm sure they're rounding a corner in the garden or rounding a corner somewhere and they look toward the tomb and they see the stones moved. Now, I would have went, wait, whoa, something's going on here. But, and and they, were, they were just absolutely amazed. The obstacle was no more longer, no longer an obstacle. Imagine seeing that for the first time. You know, maybe you get goosebumps. I think the hair on the back of my neck would have stood up. What's going on here? The very large stone moved away from the door and the darkness of the entrance to the tomb, I'm sure, tomb would make anyone nervous. And I'm sure they had some kind of feeling of that too. I mean, it created fear probably in their their hearts, a little hesitation, a little, wait, let 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 me see if something's going on. I mean, maybe some confusion. Maybe they thought grave robbers were in there or had come during the night and desecrated Jesus' body. Or someone else was trying to desecrate Jesus' body, not just someone looking for some coin. But the tomb open meant something had happened. And that's what got their attention. That's what kept their attention. And they kept their focus. They loved Jesus. Hey, let's go see what's going on. So they kept going. And you know what? Their love for Jesus prepared them for the answer they were about to receive once they peeked inside the tomb. But one thing this tells us is that love must be a priority for us. Love for Jesus must be a priority in our own hearts, a driving factor, a motivation in our hearts to receive what Jesus has done. See, if we receive it as just a gift someone has given us, you know, and not return any love, it's kind of just like, well, it's just taking it for granted. But our love for Jesus Christ helps us receive what he's done for us, the forgiveness of our souls. These women, these women had experienced that. The resurrection saves. It does. And the world will only know if we first love Jesus fearlessly like these women and tell the world. Loyalty, I mean real loyalty, has to come from love has to come. It's born out of love. Loyalty without love is really self-serving. You're just dying for some cause you believe in 
or, or you're sacrificing for somebody that you just believe in. But it's really self-serving when it's not got love involved. Loyalty is always born out of love, real, true loyalty. And love without faith is just infatuation. Faith that acts, faith that trusts. These women had that. They loved Jesus and they showed it fearlessly by going to the tomb very early in the morning. Now wait, where were the men in this? Where were the disciples in this? Why weren't they the first ones at the tomb? They all said they loved Jesus. That's another whole sermon I could spend a lot of time talking about. They're still hiding, by the way, if you want to know where they are. They're still hiding. And Paul shows us how loyalty without love really gains nothing. 1 Corinthians 13, chapter, chapter 13, verse 3. The love chapter, as everybody calls it, but it's even bigger than just the love chapter. It's a gift. Lasting faithful love is loyal to the end. He says, if I give away all I have, if I give away everything, and if I deliver my body up to the flames, up to the fire, and let it be burned, but I don't have love for God, for Christ, I gain nothing. It's wasted. Wasted energy, wasted effort. It's got to come from love. Every, every martyr that's ever died for his faith throughout the 2,000 years of Christianity has died because he loved Jesus. Not to prove a point, not to stick his finger in the king's eye, not to thumb his nose at anybody. He died because he loved Jesus Christ. So how do we know that we love Jesus like these women? I mean, they set an example. I want you to understand that these women set an example for us to follow. That's, that's born out in all four Gospels. When they are the first ones to come and they didn't hesitate, they set an example. So what signs or what attributes of your life tells people when they meet you that you love Jesus? How do they know? I saw a bumper sticker. You've seen it. Real man love Jesus. But does the driver? <laughs> Sometimes the way they drive, they may not be able to, you may not be able to tell. How do we know? How do we know? It only happens when we meet people, whether we really know whether someone loves Jesus. You can stick all kinds of bumper stickers on your tailgate and your windows and everything and say all nice, kind things about Jesus Christ. But if you're not interacting and showing it by the way you treat people, it's just words. Our lives must imitate Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about salvation. Salvation is a gift of grace. This is after. This is one, what we've been redeemed to do. Imitate Jesus. Treat people like he did. Treat people like he did. And don't think automatically the Pharisees, okay? We've got we to stand firm on our beliefs. But I'm talking the people that needed kindness and patience. The people that needed help and gentleness. You know, when, when I asked myself this question this week, I was like, the fruit of the Spirit comes to mind. I've, 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 I've foot stomped those a whole lot. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those nine attributes distilled in, in nine categories there. We need to work on those. We need to cultivate those. There are plenty of other lists that kind of conclude the same things throughout. Paul really sums them up in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When you're really doing those things, guided by God's Holy Spirit, and you're imitating Jesus, people will know you love Jesus. Why do you treat me like this? Why do you help me like this? Why are you kind to me like this? 
because I love Jesus. We have to cultivate these. We have to practice these. None of us are going to be perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm surely not perfect in the patience category. We are not perfect at these. But we need to cultivate them. This will show people that we love Jesus Christ. And what better time of the year to tell people we love Jesus Christ than everybody's out shopping for the celebration of Christmas, whether they know why they're doing it or not. You know what Jesus said? He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. You'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In John 15, I mean 14, 14, 15. So what did he command? Well, I can sum it up in two easy phrases. Love God and love people. Love God and love people. Deny yourself and love people. Deny yourself and love God. Die to yourself. Give up your old ways of doing things, your old ideas of how to live your life and live like Jesus. Imitate him. Follow Jesus all the time and all the way. That's loving God and loving people. These women loved Jesus fearlessly. They weren't afraid to go to the tomb early on Sunday morning. They weren't afraid of Rome and all its might. They weren't afraid of the Jews and their conniving and scheming behind the scenes. And even a big rock didn't stop them from going. Even when they remembered it, oh yeah, there's a big rock. They, they went on because they loved Jesus. It couldn't dampen their love. What about me? Do I love Jesus like that? It's a question to ask alone with God. But their love and their loyalty resulted in the message of the res resurrection kind of being discovered. It's, being, it's going to be given to them to share. They went on to the tomb, went in the tomb where it was dark and a little scary. And so the other way that we can promote the resurrection is to obey Jesus fully. Obey Jesus fully. Look at the verses 5 through 8. Let me read this when the actual message is delivered. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. I'm sure I would be too. Don't be alarmed, he says. You were looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. In other words, he was dead. He was killed. It's not an accident. You didn't, you didn't get to the wrong tomb. He was crucified. He is risen. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. They went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. Obey Jesus fully. There was a young man sitting there in white robe. We know that it was an angel because every other gospel account records it as there were angels there when the women got there. He was on the right side of the tomb. He scares them to death because it's totally unexpected. So he speaks quickly to calm them down. Hey, don't, don't be alarmed. Don't run away. Don't run screaming into the night because you don't know what's going on. He has a message for them. And he tells them. He tells them why. The stones rolled away and why there's no body there. He knows who they're looking for. We've never met this guy. He knows who we're looking for. He proves that he knows who Jesus is. Of Nazareth, he was crucified. He was buried and laid right here. This man knows what we're here for. 
And he tells them straight up, he is risen. He is risen. He's been raised to life. He is not in the tomb anymore. Death lost. So start doing a victory dance right there, man. Death lost. We are the champions. This queen sings. We need to sing that. Death lost. In Luke, the angel even reminds them, remember the words that Jesus spoke to you? He would die, buried, resurrection three days later. Remember those words. He points to the stone shelf in the tomb where the body had been laid three days ago. Just a mere three days ago, they saw Jesus' body put on that shelf in that tomb. He ain't there, as I would say if I was down south. The evidence is clear. Jesus is not there. But the message that this man gives them is even clear. It's irrefutable. It's divine. No longer, no longer is anyone chained by sin and death. No longer. The chains are broken. The chains are gone for those who have faith in Jesus Christ. He is not and never was, come off of there, the king of the Jews. Never did he say that. Obasilius ton Judaion, Greek. He was never the king of the Jews. He's now, and always has been, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, right? He's not any of those things anymore that they thought he was. The message is irrefutable. Only God could be raising someone from the dead. And the angel is there telling these ladies this to set in motion the evangelical campaign that we call Christianity now. He's there to set it in motion. That was the spark. That was the moment it took off. The rampant campaign of telling the world he is alive. He died on a cross. He was buried and now he has risen. He's alive. He's alive. And so he gives them this command, go and tell the disciples. Go and tell the disciples. He didn't say go tell everybody right now. Go and tell these 11 guys who promised that they would die with Jesus, who are hiding in a room somewhere in a house. Go tell them this, that Jesus is risen and that he's going to meet them in Galilee, like he said. It was more proof right there that this man knew what he was talking about. That this man knew and was a divine messenger from God. And then he even adds this special, this special invitation to our favorite disciple, Peter. Oh, I love Peter because I'm just lacking. I, I love Peter. So even Peter, the sword-wielding, I will die with you, denying Peter. Okay? He was invited to come back and join the fellowship with Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus wants him too. Jesus wants him to. He wants you to. So the women departed quickly. They ran from the tomb. I think one, because they thought, I don't want anybody to think we stole the body. So let's run. Two, they went back to tell. They went to obey the command. Tell the disciples. They didn't speak to anyone along the way. That's what Mark really means here in, in the back end of verse 8. <clears throat> they said nothing to anyone along the way. <laughs> would you? 
<clears throat> well, we just came from the tomb. Jesus is alive. <sighs> kind of funny farm kind of, kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, they, might, they were probably afraid a little bit of what reprisal. They didn't want to sound stupid. Can you just imagine the news is in your mind and, and it's swirling like he did say those things about rising. He was dead. I saw that. They stuck him in the side with a spear and he's alive, but he's alive now. Oh, what's going on? We got to go tell the disciples. So they took the message, the gospel to the disciples. And we know they did because we have that account. We have that message. Mark's gospel really doesn't end right here. Most people, and you probably got a footnote in your Bible that say the earlier manuscripts stop right there. And it's true, they do. The, the back half of Mark, and we'll talk about this more next Sunday, but the back half of Mark is from a text that was derived centuries, centuries after this first part was written. And so some people believe the gospel ends right there. That Mark just kind of leaves it hanging, but I just, I just don't think so. I think what actually happened was the front, those last pages of Mark's gospel before it ever was copied got lost somehow. And that's a theory that a lot of people, we don't know for a fact, but there'll be more about that, a little bit more about that next Sunday, and we'll talk about what they added. Somebody added this. Somebody who thought they were helping us out added the, the last part, and we'll talk about that. These women, though, they fully obeyed Jesus because we know the message of the gospel. If they had kept it to themselves and not told anybody, then it would have been a lot of speculation. People, people that didn't have any credible word would have been talking about it, but not necessarily given the truth. They fully obeyed the command of God, because we have that message today. Remember the story of the rich young man, rich young ruler? You know, he comes to Jesus, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life, have eternal life? And, and Jesus says, obey the commands. And, uh, you know, honor your father and mother. Da, da. Jesus gives him the, the second half of the Ten Commandments of the Big Ten. And the guy says, oh, yeah, I've done those since birth. <laughs> and it's like, no, he really hasn't. But you remember what Jesus did? It says, the gospel says Jesus loved him. And then he said, go, sell it all, give it all, and follow me. That's what full obedience really looks like. That's when you are ready to give up everything. These women did that. They weren't afraid to go to the tomb, and they weren't afraid to go back and tell the disciples. And we know from the other accounts, the disciples were like scratching their head, not believing them because they were women. That's part of the problem. Of, but I think that's one of the glorious things that Jesus did and God did was he, he gave the, the gospel message to women who weren't trusted as witnesses back then. You couldn't, trust, you couldn't have a woman testimony in a court. It, it didn't count for anything. They were secondhand citizens, second-class citizens. But God exalts them with this event. And so it, if you will, turn to Romans 6 because I want to now kind of show you from what Paul writes, I want to show you how the resurrection saves us, calls us, and gives us the duty to obey Christ fully. Romans chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 14. We're just going to read it and kind of summarize it. But I want you to know a couple, first of all, I want you to know three things about the resurrection. Because the resurrection does save. And here's what the resurrection does for us. It brings justification and forgiveness to our soul. It brings justification and forgiveness to our soul. Because Jesus rose, it says God accepted his, his sacrifice for our sins. He raised him because he accepted the sacrifice. The second thing is that resurrection establishes peace with God 
for eternity. We're going to see that in a minute in this passage. And then the resurrection inaugurates the new creation, now and in eternity. It inaugurates it. It starts it. He's the firstborn from among the dead. Now listen to what Paul says in Romans 6 about how the resurrection works in us after it saves us. Romans chapter 6, look at verses 5 through 14. I want you to see the power and the promises that are here. Starting with verse 5. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, cannot die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider yourselves. It's, it's almost an accounting term. Add it up. Consider in the same way. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, Remember what I say, whenever you see a therefore there, you look above to see what it's there for. Well, we just read why it's there. So therefore, you have all these promises. Do not let sin reign, rule in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. And do not offer any parts of it, your body, to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. You ever thought about yourself being a weapon for righteousness? We are. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under law, but under grace. See, grace gives us the opportunity to try this over and over and over again. He says, do not let sin reign. Do not, do not set it on a throne and, and worship it. Do not let it be there all the time. Take it off the throne. And if it gets back on the throne, take it off again. Grace lets us do that over and over again. Because we're called to do better. We're called to be better. We're called by the power of the resurrection to live differently to live completely different. And we all have that power in us. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you as a believer in Christ. We're just sometimes very timid about letting it loose. Let God work in your life. Now lastly, I want you to hear how these verses connect to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Salvation starts with a death. You realize that? Salvation starts with the death, not just the death of Jesus, but in our own heart, the death to sin. Dying to our own ways, dying to our own ideas of what gets us into heaven or what makes us right with God. They're sinful. That's confession. Salvation starts with the death, confessing you don't have it figured out. 
that you're sinful, that God, you need Jesus. The second thing is salvation continues with burying our past, our past ways of saving ourselves, our, our past ways of doing things that we think are, are good enough for God to let us into heaven. We bury those. That is repentance. We got confession, we got repentance. And then lastly, salvation promotes new life by a rising from the death to live now with new attitudes about sin. That's what Paul's talking about here in Romans 6. We live differently because we have the, the power of Christ in us. This is called sanctification. This is the continual process of killing sin in your own heart, of turning yourself away from the sins of your past, stop doing the things you used to do, stop entertaining the ideas of the old ways. You see, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the gospel and it is the means by which we are saved and we are sanctified. We're made new now and forever. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. We need to remember that. These women discovered the resurrection because of their love for Jesus. And then they were given the message to fully obey and tell everyone. They were given the message. Have you discovered the resurrection of Jesus Christ for your own heart? Have you discovered it? Turn to 1 Corinthians 15, 49 through 58. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15. Great passage on what is actually the end result of all of this. What we have, <laughs> what we have as believers to look forward to. What we have to think about. Have you discovered the resurrection of Jesus Christ for your own life? Here is the finished product. We're going to start at verse 49. Great chapter, by the way, to read about the resurrection and what it means. So it's a long chapter, but 58 verses, but read it sometime. But 49, listen to this. This is great. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we also will bear the image of the man of heaven. It's talking about Jesus. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. And when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thinking victory dance right now. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor is in the Lord is not in vain. See, he ends it with live like you've been saved. Live like you have been raised from the dead. Live like your life is different because of what Jesus Christ did. His death, burial, and resurrection for your soul. Do you have that victory? I hope you have that victory. Can you rejoice in the defeat of death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Can you rejoice in that? 
sometimes we get a little too complacent. We get a little too, yeah, yeah, I get it, Pastor. It's, we should be excited. Yay, raw. We need to be excited. Because you know what? The world needs to know that we love Jesus. When they know we love Jesus, they'll be interested. They'll be curious. They may not get saved. You may not see them get saved. Maybe they will get saved someday. But they need to know that you love Jesus. So ask Jesus. Let's pray right now for our souls to remember the eternal life granted by faith in Jesus' resurrection. Let's ask Jesus to aid us to love him fearlessly like these women did. So we're going to have a time of, of prayer where we can surrender the arenas of our life where we're just not loving Jesus like we should. And we all have them, okay? We're all guilty, all right? But let's take some time of pastoral prayer, a moment of silence. We'll pray for a little bit, and then I'll close us out. Let's pray.